Hi everyone. Uh, welcome to an all new Prospending Cafe. Uh, today we are talking about simulation and I'm joined by two simulation veterans. Uh, welcome Lampros Vienas, uh, Manufacturing Excellence Manager at Bridge Norge Aluminium and uh, Sudendu Rai, Head of Data Driven Business Process Optimization at AIG. Hi Lampros, hi, hi Sudendu. Hello everyone, thank you for having me. <laughs> thank, thank you very much for joining both. It's, it's really great to have you here and uh, you both have worked with simulation for many, many years. And simulation is such an interesting topic um, because yeah, we are testing alternative what-if scenarios without having to make the change in the real process yet, right? So for example, what if I had twice as many people or uh, what if uh, I didn't do that step? What would be the effect on the process performance? And uh, so in one of the articles that we published on the blog about um, process mining and simulation, I used the image of uh, the astronaut Christoph Fuglsang who participated in, a, in an underwater simulation to practice for space, basically. And um, yeah, Sudendu, I know you are using the, the, the world, uh, the, the term wind tunnel, right, for your simulation framework at, at AIG. Is that correct? Yes, yes. So, uh, yeah, correct. And I mean, I have been using simulation for, uh, you know, probably like the last two decades. Uh, uh, simulation, as you know, is used in a wide range of industries, as you rightly said, to um, to use it as a predictive tool. Uh, I've been using it mostly uh, to model and analyze business processes. Um, and we have looked at, you know, wide range of processes, banking, finance, insurance, uh, accounting, um, and the like, uh, print, print production. So, um, we'll, as we as as you've said in this uh, discussion, we'll talk a lot about you know how we do simulation, uh, and more particularly how this I would say the more recent field of process mining uh, can be leveraged in conjunction with simulation to you know build some very realistic and powerful simulation models. Right. And uh, Lampos, do you also have like? A well, term yes, that you use? I'm, I'm involved with simulation modeling for the past, um, let's say, 12, um, 14 years. Um, as Sudendu mentioned, as you mentioned as well, and, um, simulation modeling is um, a great um, enhancer to decision making. Um, and uh, apart from um, dealing with complex problem situations, also uh, helps us in situations when the cost of testing something is expensive or it is impossible to replicate something. You mentioned about an astronaut going um, um, to the space. You, you, cannot, you cannot simulate by using actual systems over there. Um, another example is simulators used by um, aircraft pilots. Um, yeah, flight simulators, right? Yeah. It is an expensive um, uh, thing to do it straight away. So, mm -hmm. and, and safer as well to deal with a, a simulation. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's so alluring, right? So the having the ability to try out alternative, what if I did that, what if I did that without having to make this huge change and having these huge costs in, in real life. So I think simulation has been something that has been very interesting for people. But at the same time, uh, especially like if we look at business processes, it's not used as much, right? It has been around for many decades. It's much older as a technique. It's available, has been available much longer than process mining, for example. But um, yeah, so on the one hand side, people are 
see the 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 yeah why it can be very attractive to have that, but it's not so easy, right? And I think that's one of the reasons why it's maybe not used more is that it's maybe not as simple as one could think, but it's actually quite complicated to to do a good simulation model. Simulation yeah. simulation modeling is um, um, around here for decades, as you said. Yeah. Um, we we are. Uh, very well. Well, we're blessed by having all this new digital technology that enhances the capacity of um, um, the simulation modeling as with, with other uh, technologies as well. So apart from um, getting the numbers right, we now have visual, um, um, the, the ability of having a, a much better visual um, understanding of how a model uh, represents um, our perception of a complicated system. Yeah, exactly. And process mining is one of these new additions that can really be helpful to yeah to use simulation. And um, so we want to look at the combination of process mining and simulation into today's session. And um, yeah, to all of you out there. Um, and to all of you out there watching right now, uh, as a reminder, you can participate in this discussion. So you can join the chat. It's just below this video where, what you're watching right now. Um, you don't need any name or uh, you just need your name, but you don't need any account or any password or something like that. You just um, enter your name and then you can be in the chat and you can talk with us. And we will keep an eye uh, on what you are saying and pick up um, the points um, during during the discussion. Um, now, so before we go into the um, the detailed steps that you that you can take uh, to yeah to build a simulation model uh, with the help of process mining, uh, we want to yeah clarify a little bit the difference between the two because sometimes there's also some confusion, and uh, so for that. Yeah, I have a, a simple, very simple example here that I want to show. Uh, so you see an example here from a credit card application process. It's actually an example that we built for an explainer video um, some some time ago. And um, so when you replay the animation in the process mining tool, you see moving tokens, um, right? Every yellow dot is one case, one credit card application moving through the process. And sometimes people who see these kind of a dynamic view of the process think, oh, this is a simulation. Maybe because they have seen in a, in a modeling tool, in a BPM modeling tool, um, kind of an, an, a simulation and it looks a little bit similar so they think it's a simulation but actually it's not a simulation but it's an animation it's a replay of the actual process and that's an important difference uh, when we're looking at simulation and process mining so I have like uh, like one slide that I made here to illustrate that let me just bring that up and see uh, to, to explain what I mean. So if you're looking at um, process mining and simulation, then you see on the left side, process mining is really about understanding the current process, right? We are using the current behavior um, and we use that to understand how the process currently is. And we're looking in the past to understand how the process is at the moment. But with simulation, what we usually try to do is we want to predict the future and we want to play out different alternative what-if scenarios. So that's a that's a good point to keep in mind. But to be able to do that, we need a very good model as a starting point for making these what-if scenarios. And that model really needs to reflect the reality. And that's one of the crooks, one of the crucial points um, when 
making a simulation model, right? Getting the, to the model, that's the, the, the really complicated step here. Well, conceptualization of the problem situation is um, um, of a paramount importance. Unless if you will understand uh, the problem, and unless if you will not um, establish your uh, priorities from, from, from the beginning, then you, most probably you will fail. And as you have um, um, showed in the, in the slide that we saw before, um, it is historical data that um, a simulation modeler will take under consideration in order to establish a good understanding of the surrounding conditions. And this is where process mining helps with all the artificial intelligence that encapsulates to, to, to act as an aid to, to the modeler. Yeah. And just to clarify, we're working uh, working with discrete event simulation here mostly in this in this session. We will talk about yes, we will discuss about discrete event simulation, which is um, um, a more let's say easier to understand paradigm. However, all the other different different types uh, types of simulation models that you will refer to in in a moment are very well um, covered from process mining. Okay. Yes, and and you know just to add to what you just uh, both of you discussed, I mean if you look at a simulation, um, as you said rightly, you know, it's it's the idea is to build a model of the actual process, and then uh, what was missing in the past is um, is that you know we did not have very detailed insight into um, into what was actually happening in the process. So when happening is complemented with or combined with simulation. Um, because process mining works largely with event logs and attributes of those event logs uh, get very uh, precise insights, uh, very good diagnostics into the process. Uh, and then you can leverage that um, to, as you said, in the second part of the of the problem solving, which is how do you actually use that to build uh, models which are very realistic without having to make as many assumptions. You still have to make some assumptions, but not as many assumptions that you would have to make if you did not go and leverage the process mining uh, analysis prior to the simulation model. Right, exactly. So we need this model as a starting point for the simulation to do these what-if analysis and getting to this model is the big problem. So this is where process mining can help and yeah, make this a little bit easier. It doesn't solve everything automatically, magically, but it brings us quite a step closer to, yeah, being able to do that more realistically and also more efficiently. Yeah. Uh, both methods work in, in parallel. There, there is a synergy between process mining and simulation modeling, um, to, to my experience at least, and it is very powerful, not yeah. only for the conception but also for the later stages of, um, of the modeling. Right. And so what we have prepared here um, for you today is that we want to go through the five steps that you um, need to go through when you want to build a, build a simulation model and explain where process mining comes in and what are the things also that you need to pay attention to, right? And just as an overview, so these five uh, stages are, let me go to a slide here that shows these five steps. So the first step is that we need to understand the structure of the process. Then we need to derive the parameters for the simulation model. Then we need to validate the model. Then change 
the, the model to reflect the what-if scenarios, and then we do the before and after comparison. And so we, we start with the beginning and start from, from the beginning. So the, the first point is understanding the structure of the process, right? And so for that, we can actually you go back to this example here, but go back not to the model, but actually to the data, because that's exactly where process mining helps us, where if we look at this Excel sheet here, we have a very simple example of this credit application example where we just see the minimum requirements that we need for cross mining. We have a case ID, which is the application number. We have the activity names uh, of the steps that are happening. And then we have, in this case, a start and completion timestamp. So yeah, this is the historical information that we can get out of an IT system, right? Maybe for the, the people who are more coming from the simulation side and are new to cross mining, that's the minimum requirements and that you need uh, in the process mining data to be able to do process mining. And then in the process mining tool, you import that data. And then here we open this file. We make the mapping to what the case ID is, what the activity name is, what the timestamps are. And then the process mining tool automatically builds a model that reflects how the process is really running. And so at first, it's often a good idea to look at yeah, just a simplified version of the process so, so we can see if everything goes right or let's say most in most of the cases and fortunately that's the scenario where everything goes right we see that after the application uh, we see the verification step then there's a credit check and then there's an approval step and then there's a send card step right so that's a good scenario but if we bring in less frequent activities um, then and even all of the paths, then we see a more complicated map where we see that there's sometimes some rework, something has to be sent back. And also the credit check, sometimes it's skipped, right? We go directly from verify application to proof. So, so that's basically, process mining gives us the structure of the process. And um, so that's something if you build a simulation model in kind of in a manual way, you would do that by, how would you do that? By observation or by speaking with the people in the process? Yeah, so I mean, the way we would typically do this is, um, you know, we would talk to the uh, domain expert as um, mm -hmm. a understanding of the process, uh, try to get a sense of, you know, what are the important activities they perform, um, and then lay out the structure um, and use some tool like, you know, um, any logic or arena, or whatever. There are many simulation tools, and you would lay it out in in that tool and um, basically build the structure. Thing where, where as you just showed in your uh, example, um, you know the actual process could have a lot of details, right? Like uh, you showed things like those a rework loop. If you look at um, it, at a very high level, you might just you miss you might miss some of those steps. But when you are looking at the simulation model, and if you miss some of those steps, um, it could have a big impact on the simulation model, or it could not have a big impact depending on you know. Uh, yeah you know, what is what is the impact of uh, not including uh, or excluding that that step? Yeah. So um, so by going back and forth between the simulation model, I think you still need to involve the domain experts, right? Because um, they they will they will provide some additional color to the um, to the problem as to, yeah. from, from experience. But now you have data and the event data and the the model that you have derived, the process mining model that you have derived, uh, can start giving you those insights as to what part of the structure uh, is critical and what part is not critical. So the overall, in just in even setting up the simulation model, the structure of the simulation model, uh, you can leverage process mining effectively. Yeah, exactly. That's that's such an important point. And also, 
maybe um, this also comes back to something that you touched upon a little bit earlier already. It's like it's about the goal that we have also for the for the animation uh, for the for the simulation, right? So it's I think if you're a process miner who is looking to maybe use simulation or to use process mining to build a simulation model, you don't need to think that every little detail that you discover using the process mining tool needs to be in the simulation model. But you really have to think about what's the level of abstraction or the level of detail that you need in the model. And that really depends on what you want to simulate and what you want to analyze with the, with the simulation scenarios. So for example, yeah, so it's a mix of what you want to use it for, but also Uh, maybe what is needed to reflect reality, right? So like Sudendu said, so some things might be not very frequent. You see, that's actually a very simple example that we see here. Often the real world processes are much more complicated. They have all kinds of variation and you have this big spaghetti model. It's not a good idea to take this spaghetti model and put that in a simulation tool. It's just going to be chaos. And so, for example, in this model here, if we see this kind of rework loop, If that's a big part of the problem uh, or of the process, maybe I might want to include that. But actually, if I look, for example, that's the good thing about process mining. I can quantify, right? So how how frequently does that happen? For example, if I click on this um, send back path uh, activity here, I can say filter this activity. And then I can say, okay, this is a rework, right? So this is the, these are just the rework cases. And if I look at that, I see it's just 2% of all the cases. So it's a very, yeah, it's not very big percentage. So I could actually make the case and say, well, let's just look at the process, but not uh, include these rework cases. And we say, we say just no rework. And that's kind of, also, I know I have, <laughs> now I have uh, combined them both, but of course I want only the, The, the no rework one here. Uh, so then I have removed all the cases that go through this rework step and that still reflects a large portion of, of all the data. So if, yeah, it depends on how close you want to show the process, but that could be enough to say, well, yeah, let's, let's simplify and get the essence of the process, right, into and, the and model. You're very right about that. And if you could go back to the um, first um, um, picture of the single line model the yeah. the simplified one oh the simplified uh, one yes, yes. please um, this is this is how everything starts whenever you start um, a modeling exercise you um, discuss the problem with the stakeholders and you are presented let's say something that uh, we we see um, um, on the monitor right now okay and when you get your data then you realize that um, reality is much different situations something completely different on many occasions and but with with what you demonstrated previously you can easily without ruining the importance of significant factors significant variables you can exclude some um, outliers from your model making your model easier to be implemented and focus on the more significant variables of the system yeah. so as as you understand this is a great help For the modeler, because you are not uh, blindfolded, you have a visual understanding of how um, um, significance, uh, how significant a variable is, and how variability is expressed within within the system. So it is a great help. Yeah, exactly. And this is, I think, this is one thing that um, you can leave out things like we we had here, where we said, okay, let's focus on maybe the no rework is uh, simplified enough, but you can also 
uh, choose to leave out details, right? That's maybe another thing to keep in mind. When you're building a simulation model in the system data from the IT systems, you often get a lot of details. Every little status update and changes are locked, but um, you don't necessarily need all of them, but maybe you you are better off building your simulation model based on milestones in the process that really, really reflect something that's happening. So, for example, if we're looking at the timing here, the performance is the problem in this particular process. It's taking too long. So if we're looking at the throughput times and maybe the average times, then we see that the, the latter part of the process does not really matter that much anymore, right? So we could choose to say, well, let's abstract from that and let's leave out um, the send re rejection letter and send card part. We don't need to simulate that. We want to simulate the rest of the process. So then with the process mining tool, you can just yeah, basically choose to ignore some of the things. So for example, uh, what was it? Send rejection letter. And what was the, the last one? Send card, right? These two. I can just um, yeah deselect them, basically hiding them from the map, making it simpler. So, so, yeah, that's, I think, what we wanted to discuss here about the structure of the process, right? Process mining helps you to show that, but then you still need to be deliberate about what you actually need to reflect based on how, yeah, how, 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 how big the portion of that behavior is, but also how, how, how simple and how detailed you need to make the model. Process, process mining is basically giving a solid understanding to the problem situation with regards to the significance of many relationships within the system. And if you will compare it with the spreadsheet you showed in, um, in the beginning, I would like to go for process mining um, and output, yeah. to be honest with you. <laughs> yes. Yes, you said, you know, I mean, when you build a simulation model, it's important to understand right up front, right, what is the objective of the of for the model that you're building, you know, are you, is your focus to look at, um, let's say, I mean, it could be multiple things, but, you know, is it quality control? If that's important, then, you know, you probably don't want to ignore what you just discussed, right? If you, if you are uh, like the rework part, if you are, if you are really interested in utilization uh, and you see, as you said, you know, that there's a very small impact on utilization uh, by ignoring that uh, rework step, then you can ignore it. Right. So it, um, it's it's it's, it's uh, how you um, decide to process the information that the process mining model is telling you will also depend on, you know, what you're trying to do with the model, because yeah. model, no matter what you say, is, is still a abstraction of the reality. Right. It is exactly it's not reality. Uh, so um, and some people think that, you know, by putting too much detail, you can necessarily reflect the reality, but that may not be the case because sometimes even putting in too much detail um, can actually cut, clutter the model. And uh, and you might start, uh, instead of getting more insights, you might actually uh, lose insights, I would say. You know? <laughs> so so it's, a, it's a very important thing to trade off as to, to start with, you know, what is your objective uh, mm -hmm. that you're trying to build the simulation model for? And then mm -hmm. use the insights that your process mining model is providing you, the very detailed data-driven insight. And the other thing I would like to mention is that when you build a model, uh, and let's say you have stakeholders, um, uh, one of the critical uh, challenges that you would face is, you know, how do you uh, convince that your model is the right model, so to speak, right? Um, and But if you have the data and you can go back and forth between the process mining and and what like a, a simple example that you showed uh, it also helps with instilling confidence 
in your simulation model because now you can you know if there are questions or you ignore the rework you know it, uh, you can actually go back and show that you know it only accounts for 2% and if your utilization is your important uh, metric that you're trying to address with your simulation model you know people will agree yeah. uh, in the past you know you would have to just take on on faith that you know i'm going to ignore rework for now um but you know, you may not have those types of insights and and by, by combining the, these two frameworks um, you can you can get to that point that um, you know you can build trustworthy models that reflect the reality and um, to the extent that is needed to address the problem that you are trying to solve. Yeah, that's such an interesting point that's coming back again, again and again in different situations. But that cross mining really can help build trust also in these kind of models, in these analysis results that you present to people, which they should use to base their decisions on. But if that's a black box, it's a little bit. Yeah, maybe you don't trust that it's right, right? But if you can understand um, how it how it arrived there, then then that's actually trust building. So that's a that's really nice. Asudendo mentioned that it is a brilliant verification tool. So to, to see whether this is the right model in a modeling mm -hmm. exercise is very important. Imagine that you're modeling a factory, a, a process, okay, whatever, an organization. And you think that you're modeling right, but you're modeling something else. I don't know. You start modeling um, um, an insurance company, but you end up um, modeling something different. So the output will be definitely wrong. Yeah. Process mining is the ultimate, I believe, verification tool to work along with stakeholders. And everyone who's in the business knows that from the point you will win your stakeholders the people who participate into this modeling exercise and um, it is the determinant factor for the success of the project itself yeah exactly yeah no that's 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 really good i think that's a really strong strong point here maybe to just briefly come back to the first point that you you mentioned Sudendu, um this uh, working together with the with the people and finding the right level, right? It's like there's a saying that all models are wrong, but some are more useful. So it's really about making the model as useful as it can for the purpose that we need it to. And so I think in the past, when we talked about how you use simulation, and by the way, there's a lot of examples. So Sudendu in the past uh, shared some concrete cases from how he combined Prosmany with simulation. And there's some articles also that we had on the blog. We will link all of these together with the recording in the show notes when we publish um, the cafe in one or two weeks or so. So watch, watch out for that. Um, but um, so what you mentioned there is that you also sometimes aggregate um, data even, right? So it's not just about leaving out steps like I just uh, showed here, which you can easily do in the prosmining tool, but sometimes you also aggregate things together or you, you you reduce variation to simplify the model to the right level. And I think that's an important thing to understand. It's not just that you can automatically generate um, yeah, the, 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 the simulation model with prosmining. It's not going to be useful if it's too detailed. So I think that's a really important step here in this first step of this uh, five-step kind of process. Yes, yes. I mean, that, that, that's another very good point you brought up. Like uh, when, you, when you use process mining, a lot of times you have to pull data from different systems mm -hmm. and, and, um, and then kind of fuse them. Um, because if you have, a, like, let's say if you have a complex end-to-end -end process, um, parts of the process, uh, process mining data or the event data may be coming from one system, another data may be coming from another system, and they may be, you know, two completely separate systems. And 
they when they were designed, for example, they were not designed for process mining studies. So people have captured events to the extent that, you know, made sense for that particular system. And when you put things together, you get model, uh, data that is at different levels of granularity, right? Um, and as an example, you know, you you have you have some event-based systems these days that you can uh, configure them that they can capture every click, for example, that's happening mm-hmm. on your computer, and uh, and that could be just overwhelming data, right? So when you when you put that into process mining, of course, you know you you will get a very detailed process map, but your simulation model doesn't need to be at that level of detail. So you you can then uh, look at your process mining and some of the tools that you have, for example, the um, the sliders that you have in Disco, uh, and uh, and try to sort of see you know what is the right level of aggregation uh, of these event logs and activities that you want to use for uh, simulation modeling, right? Yeah. So if you if you want to perform some task on a website, um, you know you might be doing fifteen different clicks on a single web page. Uh, but your objective from a simulation model could be when did I log into that web page and when did I exit from that web page, right? And and there'll be, as you know, simulation also uses um, statistical distributions, and I'm, uh, I know we'll, we'll we'll get into that. So um, a lot of this variability be aggregated within that statistical distribution. Yeah, exactly. So, so it it really helps, um, but but you have that fine grained data. Uh, you can you can use that to aggregate to the level that you want for your yeah. simulation model. Yeah, and this needs to be a deliberate step based on yes. what you yes. want to do. Yeah, so maybe before we go to the second step, um, it's a good opportunity to pick up one of uh, one question from the chat where Ranjit is asking uh, wh- whether machine learning and AI will replace simulation in the future. So I'm curious what your thoughts are about that. Uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence are completely different disciplines. Um, as, as if with um, um, process mining, which is an artificial intelligence-based um, discipline, um, are, are working together. Um, I, I could see that machine learning and artificial intelligence will be a great enhancer and a great help to provide simulation modeling and models, generally speaking, regardless if they are simulation models or not, um, with the required data. Um, as we said before, there are systems which is very expensive or impossible to get data. Um, I couldn't even imagine getting data from the Mars for creating a new rover to send it to Mars. Therefore, I would definitely use machine learning and artificial intelligence based on um, information collected from the existing systems we have sent into Mars to enhance the new technology that we will suggest. I cannot see that they work um, uh, once against the other or one will succeed or, evo- or, or, for example, there will be an evolution from simulation to machine learning. They work in conjunction, they work together. Yeah. Yes, and well, I'll, I'll just, just add that. one more point. I mean, I think uh, um, just like we are talking about process mining, enhancing simulation, I think you can use some aspects of machine learning and predictive modeling to uh, embellish your simulation model, so to speak, Um, especially if you start bringing in, because um, the way simulation works, uh, it's largely you are you are working with, uh, as I said, statistical distributions that describe the different activities in a process. Right. And you could potentially uh, one way I can see is you can you can put some type of predictive model to um, to get more sort of uh, stratification 
in your simulation model uh, um, where uh, you could use a combination of machine learning and uh, the existing simulation framework to you know get even better better insights and we have done that in a few cases so uh, it's still uh, in my view i wouldn't i would say that you know there's a lot of work that's required um, to combine the two um, but definitely there is there are synergies between uh, machine learning and simulation i wouldn't say that you know one is going to replace the other or or, or vice versa um, it, it's more like you know uh, adding more power to your simulation model if you can use uh, some kind of factor-based machine learning or predictive modeling uh, yeah. embedded into your simulation model. Right. Yeah. Different types of techniques for yes. for prediction, for example, in, in this case. it's Yeah, it's good to keep that in mind. There are these different approaches sometimes to achieve the same thing, right? And all of them have their advantages and disadvantages, assumptions that they perhaps make or preconditions that need to be met. For example, if we're talking about what-if analysis, um, it's actually not always necessary to use simulation for that, but there are many um, examples, and we don't focus on that here in the session today, but many what-if um, questions can be answered with process mining alone. For example, if you're doing a process mining analysis and you see that there's a kind of an undesired path kind of a rework scenario that happens. But you also have the population of the cases that don't do this rework uh, step, right? You can you can very easily make an, a measurement of how much time does it take if this rework is done compared to when it's not done. And if you then make a, make a what-if scenario, like what if instead of um, 70% of the time I'm going through this unnecessary step, I reduce that to just 30%, then I can make an assessment based on what my 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 average process performance will be right just based on the process mining measurements without any any simulation at all so yeah so that depends but i think for for simulation especially uh, because you're building the model on the right level of detail as we discussed but because you're building this model you have that model to work with right that's where you can really you can really tweak properties of the model And um, yeah, so maybe that's a good transition to the second step, because once we have the structure, like what are the activities and what are the connections between them and the path in the process, and there's still the second ingredient, which is basically the parameters of the model. How long do these activities take? But also, yeah, how uh, how are the, the percentages, like um, when you path percentages or probabilities, how you go through which path rate. So for example, if we look at our example again, we can see the mean durations or could pick the median, for example. But if we're looking at the frequency, we can also look, for example, the yeah the percentages. Like for example, here, what's the percentage of going to this rework? step it's 11 percent compared to going directly or you know this direct approval step so yeah so so these are the parameters that you can also take out of the process mining analysis into the simulation model right yes so again one of the uh, when, you, when you're building a complex process model uh, you do have these decision blocks right that you put in place where a service request might come in And some may go on one path, another one might go on another path, or you know there may be multiple branches, so to speak, from the decision point. Um, and um, in in if if you didn't have process mining, you know how would you decide that? You would you would talk to the experts uh, who have been involved in this process. Let's say if it's an existing process, and they'll tell you, you know what? I mean, at this point, service request comes and it goes to path one or path two. And typically, we would say 40% goes to path one and 60% goes to path two. Mm -hmm. And you might 
use that uh, anecdotal information from these, I would call them the domain experts, and put that in your model. Um, and as we all know, I mean, um, if you have the same uh, process mining, you will get that very accurately, right? You can actually look at your historical data and you'll see, no, it's not 60-40, it's actually 55. Uh, mm -hmm. Now, in some cases, you know, you might say it's, you know, it's ballpark, but it's right. But a lot of times what you'll see is if you have many of these decision blocks, and if you have small errors, like 5-10% in each block, uh, you'll see the impact of that on the overall simulation model can be quite quite significant. So getting those numbers relatively right or close to right um, is very important. And so and just like as you showed, um, when you have a, a, any activity block and you look at the data and it exactly tells you, you know, uh, what the mean median are, or you can actually even do uh, statistical uh, distribution fits on that data. Um, I think combining um, what we just talked about, you know, the structure and then both aggregating or ignoring paths and then using real data from these models to build these statistical distributions um, that you plug into your simulation model, um, that makes your simulation model far more authentic and more realistic, right? Uh, representation of, of the reality as opposed to, you know, putting a lot of these through, you know, assumptions or talking to people and having them provide you these kind of uh, average estimates, so to speak. Right. And that contributes to what we discussed in the beginning, that the the model, the simulation model that we built is a much better reflection of the reality, right? And therefore, it's a good starting point for for doing these what-if scenarios, because you have to start with a close reflection of reality if you want to to get that right. Otherwise, yeah, the basis isn't... isn't yes, and isn't just good. one more point I'll add. I mean, uh, so fundamentally, you know, if you look at what you're doing with process mining, you know, you're looking at historical data. So everything has already happened, right? So what you're looking at is uh, a one set of one realization of how that process worked over the last month, last year, or whatever the time frame is. But whatever it is, it's already happened. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, it is deterministic, even though you are seeing a lot of the variations, because that what you're seeing is one instance of the process. The future doesn't work like that, right? The future is you know, is unpredictable. Um, it could, it, the the different um, steps that you have in the process, uh, you don't know what what instance of that will will actually happen in the future. So you have, the, that's why you need simulation, right? So you need to, um, you need to uh, model all those possibilities in some statistical way and come up with good estimates of what you think the future might look like. Um, and then base your uh, decisions on that. So that's a, like a fundamental difference between the past and the future, right? Past yeah. is known. And even though you learn a lot from the past, but the, with, with all of that, uh, predicting the future because of the inherent uncertainty uh, in in uh, in what, what might actually happen, uh, you need to actually build the model and then test it across all those possibilities. Uh, yeah. As an example, if you put a statistical distribution, right, let's say you put a, a normal distribution. Um, if you look at historically, you know, at any any service request that came in, even though it was normally distributed at a particular step, you knew at w uh, what the value was because it's already happened. But in the future, it could pick any value from the, from the normal distribution. And as you can see, if you have a, a variety of these types of service blocks with all these different distributions applied there, uh, depending on what what each instance or realization of that value is, 
uh, your output of the model can become very different. So that's why uh, the way you use simulation model to predict is you run many, many, many replications once you build the model um, of the model and then look at statistical estimates of what the model is saying. Yeah. To, uh, Let's maybe look at, the, uh, at sure. these um, statistical distributions first, because uh, when we build the model, so we're still in the, in the phase of building the model, first the structure and then the, uh, the parameters, and we can get both the structure and a lot of the parameters from the cross-mining analysis. Now, based on this example, Sudendo actually um, was building a, a simulation model in, in any logic. So we have that here. So, so there you actually reflected most of the structure from these kind of these simple steps. Uh, here and this is any logic is a is a simulation tool one of the many it's a quite um, yeah it's a relatively complex tool because you can do a lot of things in there so it's not that easy and we couldn't kind of show it live how to build it but you you can you can see the structure back from the process map that we had in disco right where uh, here this is starting point and then we see the the beginning then there's the verification step and Yeah, so then in the end, there's the approve and the reject step. Now, so the structure can be inferred from, from our discovered process model, from the process mining tool, but then we're talking about these different parameters. And so, for example, if I select any of these kind of activities here, what you can see here, what Sudendo had has done is um, that he um, ad approximated the time that this particular step takes based on, in this case, uh, a triangular Uh, distribution but yeah that's already a choice right so in in disco for example we can see uh, if we go back and to the performance we can see certain kind of mean median uh, of course out of the prosmining tool we could also export um, yeah all of the instances for example all of the credit check uh, activities that were performed and we could export kind of each instance of, of those activities with the time it took Uh, but that's not the distribution yet. So you have to, and usually most service processes in any case are not normally distributed. So you can't just put a normal distribution on there. And so so how, I'm curious, how, how do you deal with that? So for example, also maybe Lampos, uh, how do you do distribution fittings? Do you use, how do you determine what's the right distribution? Well, well the, the first attempt is to fit um, the, the data to um, a well-known and established distribution. And that mm -hmm. makes things much more, um, easier in terms of um, determining further investigation um, to, 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 to the variables. However, from the data, from the historical data, you can isolate a, a steady period of operation. Um, one of the requirements for discrete simulation is to get information from a steady um, a period of time without a lot of fluctuation or trends. So you need to To, uh, to, to handle your data somehow. Yeah. And from that data, you derive empirical distributions. So uh, from uh, process mining straight away, if you will go to the statistics, you will be able to see over there the empirical distribution. And it is up to the uh, choice of the modeler to get um, as much granularity as they wish to determine the, the bin side, as we're calling it, and include a much more educated um, input um, to the input variables to the model that will be much more representative to the system itself. Yeah, yeah. And that, that shows, right, it's, it's, not, it's not an easy or direct answer for that. So it really depends on the, on the data, on the distribution. It takes time. It takes time and raises the cost for any type of model. So if you have a tool that will do it for you, 
um, you're a happy man at the end of the day. Um, also, coming back to what we've mentioned before, apart from having these distributions in front of your eyes, uh, you also get not a picture, but a moving moving picture. It, it is a motion picture of your problem. You see how this distribution is established. Um, do you have um, a great change during the beginning, during the end of a period? It depends, but it is in front of your eyes. You can use it. You can export it and use it straight away in your model. Yeah. I would say that's the big advantage of process mining, right? That you can experience the process. And I think one big advantage of process mining is also that you don't need to represent everything in one model. Actually, and we have many examples for that, you can look at the process from different angles. You can build a model very detailed, a very high-level model, one model where you unfold a certain dimension and uh, you can look at it dynamically from this perspective, from that perspective. And all of these models together give you this understanding of the process. And like you were saying, looking at the animation can give you some intuitive understanding of what's really happening, right? So this is something that Prosmining can really provide and uh, is an advantage, whereas in, in simulation, you in the simulation model, you have to really represent depending on the goal that you want to, for, for that particular goal that you want to achieve, but you have to put everything in, in one model. And yeah, to, to get that right, I think the distributions are so, so interesting because it seems very easy at first, oh, you get all the measurements here from the post mining tool, but it's a choice still, right? So for example, uh, here, if we look at um, the triangular solution, uh, so, so Dendro that you chose, um, we, we discussed this when we were preparing the session, is that sometimes you need to remove some outliers when if the triangular, situation, the triangular distribution might be a good approximation. But often what we see in prosmining, I'm not sure whether I have this here, if we're looking just at the case duration, for example, what often happens um, is that you have maybe one or few or three really crazy outliers, right? And we have a blog post about that as, uh, as well. I will link it uh, in the show notes too, uh, whether you should remove outliers for prosmining or not. And usually in the prosmining world, not necessarily. So often you want to see these outliers and you want to take them into consideration and you don't really re need to read remove them. But here we are in a situation where you actually need to think about removing outliers. Because if you have this, if you're trying to make a distribution that represents the process and you have these one or two crazy long running cases or instances where the task was running really long, then that could completely misrepresent the data, right? So, so Dendo, you mentioned you're sometimes removing outliers then uh, before yeah, making the triangular distribution. Yes, I mean, if you choose to be like, typically, this is the practice in simulation is if you don't have enough data, you triangular distribution is what people typically use, right? And if you look at triangular distribution, there are three parameters, right? One is the minimum, the other is the maximum and the mode. And um, and how do you get that, right? You, you talk to the people and they'll tell you, well, on the average, it takes me five minutes. The minimum I can sometimes I can do it in two minutes and maximum is about 10 minutes. So you 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 take that anecdotal information uh, and um, and you can fit in your distribution, put it in the simulation model. What you just showed is you you can now look exactly what that is, right, because you have data and mm -hmm. you'll see that, you know, um, it, it may not be two, five and ten. You know, you you may have some which took 20. Uh, but there may be just outliers. There may be just two cases out of thousand where so you can eliminate those outliers. Yeah. Uh, 
and then you know is 10 the right number or is 8 the right number assuming that you know a triangular distribution is a good fit um, you can actually do very realistic um, so so it's 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 data driven simulation but with uh, with a lot of these accuracies and 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 so the, the the trust that you can place in your models certainly goes up if you use this approach yeah uh, moreover, I would like to add, um, if we could go back to the um, distribution that you demonstrated previously, um, it might not necessarily uh, be something wrong over here. We might probably be talking about different um, um, products, uh, different periods of time. Yeah. Um, for example, if the, the high peak, for example, let me give you an example, um, a bottling company, okay, they're preparing to, uh, to start um, selling their um, beverages or beer before summertime. Okay, in the North Hemisphere. So I would expect to see something like that. So this might not be something that we would like to exclude, okay, but it would be something that you should, should take under consideration with another variable into our model. Yeah. Okay, so um, once again, it is educated information. Instead of um, um, following the oracle, let's say, approach, okay, we go to the oracle and get the, yeah. uh, the answer, we have something which is substantially supported with hard evidence. Which is something again very very scientific. It is undisputed. It it is um, reality. Yeah, yeah, exactly, absolutely. And yeah, so I'm I'm still thinking about the the topic of the distribution fitting because that's way too complicated that we can go into it here in in detail, right? But there's also ways to. Um, Yeah, to to automate to do that automatically so somehow to find which uh, distribution really fits but isn't there also a way where you can actually use the instance data so where we could take all the really the process mining measurements as they are right Lombos, you mentioned all of them they, yes. they are yes. there for a if reason you will go back, if you will go back to the to the, to the um, example um, if I would um, let's say like to focus on uh, the middle period Mm -hmm. um, okay, so we have three, let's say we have three modes over here into this big distribution, and I would like to um, isolate um, the middle period. So I would isolate the data within that period of time and use that um, particular um, um, empirical distribution as it is in my model. So um, there is a way to create within the simulation tools, there is a way to create empirical distributions. So you define for how long, what is the frequency? Mm -hmm. okay. And the system will take it and use that probability distribution to run the simulator, do the sampling, okay, based on um, random numbers. So, more or less, discrete event simulation, this is the way it works. Um, um, it, it has a random number generator, which every time change, changes the random number seed, okay, and um, uh, simulates different um, samples for a big population. Yeah. At the end of the day, you're basically simulating, based on the central limit theorem, you're simulating the whole of the population very yeah. accurately. And that's that's exactly that's what I meant. So empirical distribution was the term for that. And you're right. So with within the post-mining tool, we can select the time frames, for example, to get a representative um, time area or select the subsets that we want to use. So that's what you can do simply through the filtering in the post-mining tool. But then, yeah, what would be your your recommendation or what's your experience? Are you typically trying to approximate through, for example, some triangular distribution or do you think process miners who are, you know, want to go into the simulation approach perhaps in the future, should they be looking at empirical distributions right away? What is your experience with 
with well, that? Well, uh, I believe that the literature is very clear on what should be done. Okay, it, it, Ideally, you have to be based on a um, um, well-established uh, distribution. Um, but um, this, not the, this is not the, um, the, the, the case all the time. Um, you have so much variability around you that uh, completely destroys normality, for example. Um, it is not easy to isolate some, sometimes the effects. You have um, a covariance. You have um, many other um, characteristics that ruin this very nice um, uh, bubble. We, we wish to get in, uh, to, 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 to get into a comfort zone, statistically, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, so technically speaking, the best approximation is empirical distributions for me, because it gives me much more um, um, leeway to uh, express more of the variability. And also it gives us the opportunity of changing slightly the process, affecting that empirical distribution and checking what is scenarios. Or in optimization problems, um, um, we, we, we can affect directly this distribution and see how the system um, behaves. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And, and, you, and you yeah, too? Just, just just to add add to what he said, yes. I mean, um, if you ha- if you have the data, and you just have to be careful that you know you need you need to have sufficient amount of of data, right? To to uh, bootstrap, as it's called, from the empirical data. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and typically, what I have seen is, uh, if you're building a complex end-to-end process, uh, in many instances you do have the data, right? But in in cases that you don't have the data, then you may have to still rely on um, some approximate distribution. And typically, people just use triangular distribution because that's the that's the simplest to get when you don't have the data about a process, right? You can always talk to someone and if it's an existing process and and get the triangular distribution and that's why it's so popular um, but you have to realize that you know there are again every time you do do that you are you are uh, introducing a little bit of uh, uncertainty into the model mm. and that's why um, you will see um, and I'm assuming you'll get to that point is that when you when you take all of this and put plug it into your uh, simulation model and run the simulation model, uh, it it won't be that you know what the process mining uh, shows is what the simulation model will show. Yeah, and we we come to that in, in yes. a in a yeah. moment exactly. But before we get there, just uh, one more thing. So we wanted to also show a little bit the the places where yeah where you need to parameterize the simulation model and also to show that there's also choices like how far do you go right so for example we just talked about the timing information which we can get out of the process model process discovered process model both for the execution times how long are the steps in the process taking but also the waiting times in between steps um but there's there's other elements for example how often do you get new cases right so for example if we're looking at active cases over time then we see yeah there's new cases coming in right we can actually just look at the start timestamp here uh, for the cases and then we see okay new cases are coming into the process but these might be also different types of cases right lambos you said that very rightly maybe it's different products so then you actually yeah should yep. you model that should you straight, have kind of straight away you can see straight away you can see when you start um, having a steady state into your system so yeah, from yeah. a point you will reach the steady state this is yeah so if you will move your your mouse a bit um, to the left there so yeah. after after let's say a couple of um, um, time units to the right then you can assume that you have um, 
um, um, from what we can see over there uh, without running any other statistical um, um, metrics you can see that after 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 a point you reach a steady state and this is the point when you will start sampling from for more data for all the variables yeah. okay. and, and, and this this is a big help this is yeah. a big help exactly yes and this is yeah what we get. So, so we get also how many cases are coming into the system. But then also the other thing is um, just to show how, how complicated it can, can get, right? So for example, maybe if we go back to the full model again, also with the rework um, that we had. So if we're looking here at the, the percentages, we see the the choice percentage, right? Going left versus going right. What's the probability that I go take this path compared to that path? That's like you said, Sudendo earlier, it's like can be really helpful to have accurate percentages for that, even if it's just small um, places, but they can add up over the, the time of the process. So we can then go, if we go to the simulation model, for example, here we have a choice point there where we can see that probability reflected, right? But just to show like how complicated it can become is like sometimes you can go through a loop more than once so usually if you can go through a loop maybe twice three four five times um, then the probability to go through that loop again is not the same uh, every time but once you have done it once uh, and you get there to the second time the probability usually is lower that you do it a second time again and then the third time again it's lower right so so that's just one example like where yeah is that something that needs to be um, reflected in the simulation model and that's also where you see different capabilities of simulation tools so for example one of the bpm bloggers that i, I, I yeah i used to read a few years ago was called uh, He's called Bruce Silver, and he was always complaining like that the BPM tools had all simulation in there, but he called them kind of being a fake feature because they were very basic. And that was always one of the things that he mentioned, like that these kind of conditional branching uh, prob probabilities that you could not model that. So, so that's, I think, one thing that nowadays simulation tools are really capable and they can model everything. That's why they're so complicated also. But it also shows that you have to think about what you need to reflect, yes. right? Yeah, and, and, and to that point of what this, this gentleman was mentioning, I mean, if you just take, I said, the, the data that you have that you're using to do process mining is the past, right? Mm -hmm. And if you just use that past to say that this is how the future is going to be look, look like, which you would do if you just took that and call that your simulation model, right? Um, it's not right. So what you need to really do is you need to build your simulation model, but plug in all the appropriate and critical uncertainty. And that could be of many kinds, right? It could be uncertainty associated with the processing time delays. It could be uncertainty associated with the branching that you are seeing in your model. Um, but then um, what you're doing with process mining and the analysis that you've looked is, you know, you're making much, much more informed decisions as yeah. you're introducing those uncertainties into the model. Once you have the model, you still have to go and run it across, you know, a large number of possibilities to make sure you have you have looked at all the, uh, the what I would call the interaction between the variabilities um, that you have that you have put into your model. Yeah. Um, but but you can't just go straight forward, uh, and that's why I like the fact that you right up front in this uh, discussion you brought up the fact that you know if you just take the process mining, it's animation. That's not simulation. Yeah. Uh, and it becomes simulation only once you have, you know, gone through what we have just all these things that you have discussed. Yeah. 
Okay, so yeah, let's go ahead and run the model, right? So that's basically then once you've put in the structure and all the parameters, um, yeah, you can run the model. And yeah, so we, we can do this here in the in the simulation model that you've built. And let me see whether it starts. It should bring up kind of a new screen. And yeah, basically based on the parameters, now it runs through like one yeah scenario right and we can if we stop it we can run it again that's also what you mentioned before it's like because it's probabilistic it's like often that you don't run a simulation once but you actually have replications of yeah multiple replications and then you you run the model um, many times and that that can be done automatically also and then um, you measure kind of the average performance based on on the different replications right Yes. So, for example, in this case, let's say if your goal of interest is the average uh, time from the time a request is received to the time the request is actually delivered, mm -hmm. um, the turnaround time, if you want to call that, if you run the simulation model once, you'll get one value for that turnaround time, right? Um, if you run it with a different seed, um, you'll get a slightly different value. So, let's say you get I don't know, 10 hours or, or um, for the turnaround time for the 10,000 requests that you processed, and the average you get is 10 hours. Then if you run it with slightly different seed, you won't get 10 hours, right? You'll, you might get 10.5 hours, or you might get 11 hours. When you run it with a different seed, when I say a different seed, what it does is every, that, that simulation is run with where, you know, different values will be picked from the distributions that you have assigned. And, and as you keep running this many, 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 many times, you'll get a distribution of these turn of the metric of interest, in this case, turnaround time. And then if you run it sufficiently large number of times, you can be confident that the model uh, output, the turnaround time is a good reflection of what you might ex expect in the future. Yeah. So and that's what you can do You know, about the future. You can't predict exactly. 10 days from now, when a service request came in, exactly how much time it will take. You can't, because it it has all this variability that, that uh, you have to take into account. Mm. Whereas with process mining, if you went back and looked at a particular request 10 days ago, you can exactly say when it came in, because it's already happened. Whereas the, whereas the future has not yet happened, and it is all driven by these statistical probabilities. So yeah. the best you can do with the simulation is, you know, you can, you can come up with your measure of uh, of the distribution mean or standard deviations or or the like and you can have some confidence as to how accurately you can predict that yeah and so so that's such an important step we are now at step number 3 where we validate the model and here there's um, mind you there's not any what if modeled yet right we are not talking about what if at all we are just trying to reflect the current process as closely as we can or uh, yeah on the right level of abstraction as we find it to be useful but correctly as correctly as we can um in in this model and so that's this validation step then involves comparing also properties of the process that we can observe based on the process mining compared to what we see in the process model so for example here we would look at the turnaround time for the overall process and we could compare that with um yeah what we have observed in the in the process mining tool um and see yeah where how how different it is and so yeah the, the question is then also like to be aware of the gaps right so maybe 
you don't you never get it to 100% to match but yeah what's your experience how cl how close should you be for the target metric that you that you, you want to analyze you were very right to say that you have not reached the point of running what if scenarios before you will do any what if scenarios or mm -hmm. any optimization yeah. you need to prove that your model is a valid one yes okay that's uh, what you get represents what you think that you um, are modeling And this is the point where you have to see the convergence to your existing real-life system based on the assumptions and simplification that you have made for this system. Um, of course, convergence cannot be an absolute one. And of course, we have random events uh, in real-life systems. Therefore, you are based on the historical data you have and the picture you get from process mining to drive you towards um, a well-educated um, decision. Is this... Right, yes, okay. Is this something that I want to experiment with? Yes, it is. And therefore, from that point, you start creating more replications, you build trials with many replications, and you uh, attempt to see how significantly correct you are based on your assumptions and simplifications. The closer you get to your target, the better for you. Now, at this point, you might end up seeing some cases of a complete um, uh, departure from where you want to, to converge. This is a point that you have to ring the bell and say, mm, I'm missing a value over here, I'm missing a variable. Yeah. This is the point where you know for sure as a modeler that you have missed something which is significant. Yeah, exactly. And it could be something like before where we said, well, there's actually different processes for different products. Yeah, so something, maybe within, needs to be something within the complexity. Complexity can be um, structural complexity based yes. on the contents. contents. It can be dynamic complexity based on the interactions between within the system. And, and also it can be emerging complexity. So we see many cases. We see that um, um, there are phenomena that occur um, that have went outside our scope initially. But as we're modeling a system, we start building trust that they are there. So we, we, we identify them. And this is the point where you decide whether something is important for mm -hmm. your model and you are taking that into consideration or you are excluding it. But you have to mention it. Yes. Or you yeah. have to create another model to cover this particular um, case if it is important, according to the stakeholders, of course. Yeah. Exactly. And it can be that there are blind spots either because you didn't model that or you you know it's not in the data or somehow, right? But you well, need to I, be aware of the blind spots. Yes, spot. I have experienced the case of um, running a, a very long um, um, modeling analysis exercise and never converging. And um, I, I was quite um, disheartened. Um, thank God I found one of the stakeholders who had a completely different um, um, understanding of the process itself. Mm -hmm. And immediately after the discussion we had, it was literally, it was a couple of hours, um, half an hour of an interview, um, changing the model and the model then converged. As simple as that. <laughs> it, was, it, wasn't a missed, it wasn't a missed variable. It was something that was within the knowledge of someone. Okay. But in, in, in this case now, since I have, unfortunately, I don't have process mining to my aid back then. So it was going number crunching through, through the time series. But nowadays, having a process mining uh, tool like Disco, which I'm using it for that purpose, it, it serves also as a proof um, of, um, of the concept, generally speaking. It is, it is obvious whether you have missed or not something. Yeah. 
Exactly. Yeah, like you're pointing out, it's always a challenge, right? It's like whether you do it with or without process mining, these are always the challenges that you have with the simulation model that you have to validate it and needs to match. But process mining can actually help maybe close that dramatically, gap. And, dramatically. Yeah. And uh, when money talks, we know the answer. Uh, it, is, it is quite important for the viability of modeling, generally speaking, not only for simulation modeling, for all other types of modeling, but simulation more specifically because it is uh, so strongly related and um, um, affected by um, variability. If you've yeah. not put it right, you, you lost the accuracy. Yeah. yeah, and it's actually, yeah, this validation step is, is so, as we discussed, really important, but it's also actually time consuming. So usually this kind of model tuning, that's an iterative Uh, process and it's also in the model that you that we built here right so then we didn't get into that yet it's not tuned yet it doesn't really match up yet it's like that was basically the first step but now we would actually if we wanted to analyze that uh, for real we would have to continue and really uh, close those gaps and Well, for example, one thing we didn't talk about at all yet is uh, resources. We didn't, so in the original data that we use here for the credit application process, we don't have any information about resources. And that's something that we saw actually. So it was one of my, uh, one of the topics that I focused on during my PhD in the Prostmining group at the Technical University in Eindhoven. We were generating simulation models from Prostmining data. We generated it in, for CPN tools back then, so that's one of the academic uh, simulation tools. And uh, so the, what we notice is, it, at first, it looks really simple. You generate the model, you take all the, like we saw, you can use the the distributions from all the measurements, uh, timing measurements, probabilities, arrival rates, things like that. But then once you, we ran the model, the results in the simulation model were very different. It was always finished very quickly. The process didn't take, let's say, three days, but three hours or something, right? So it was really a stark difference. And the, the difference was that the, 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 the resources that we had modeled, they were always available, right? So immediately when a job came uh, in the simulation model, the resource immediately did the job. But of course, in reality, that's not right, right? The person, people work in different processes they are not immediately doing a job just because it's available so then that brings you into the situation that you have to model the resources in a more realistic way to reflect reality so, so, so that's the thing how far do you go right you can't model the whole world you can't put the whole world in the simulation model so how much do you have to put in to be close enough to yeah to reflect what you want to reflect to be, to be cost effective more or less yeah It, it, it is exactly the same thing with the business world. Um, you, 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 are, um, you are called um, and you are asked to address um, a real-life um, problem, a new product, um, a variation to your production line, and you need to get an answer quickly because um, time is money at the end of the day. So you're looking for the cost-effectiveness of your um, output, and this is, this is very, very helpful. It is, it is a good investment, generally speaking, for someone to, to invest on using process mining as well as um, 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 a helping aid to, uh, to speed up the simulation and the modeling process, generally speaking. I don't want to, to constrain simulation modeling only. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So maybe, so one thing I wanted to point out also, because I think that's an interesting, it's always interesting if you can close the loop, right? But that's something that Sudeno, we also talked about in this, uh, in any logic in any case, I think in several uh, simulation tools, you can do that. Um, there is actually a possibility um, that I think it's here. Yeah, somewhere. So you can actually lock the simulation runs that you're doing so somehow you can create an event log of the simulations so that's some a way that you can actually then analyze again with the post mining tool again from from the simulation runs did, did you did you do that in the past yes so um i mean that that is really after uh, a lot of the work so so if we look at let's say you build the simulation model and you run it the first order of priority, which typically one would look at is, um, so if the simulation model is creating a distribution, an output distribution, let's say if you're looking at cycle time, so you get a cycle time distribution, right, from your simulation model. And you have a cycle time distribution from your process mining, which is reflective of the actual data. The difference being the simulation model um, is, of course, you know, based on these statistical distributions, the process mining is real data. Um, as as we heard Lambros saying, you know, you can never get the two distributions to match. You you won't get the output of the simulation model, look at the distribution and, and look at the process mining actual real data distribution. They'll never match, right? Because um, one is based on a, a model. Um, so we typically like to look at, depending again on the situation, is uh, look at some measure of the distribution. So look at the mean, try to see if the mean is close enough. Look at the standard deviation and see if the standard deviation is close enough. <clears throat> Now, if you have if you have a lot of variability in your system, which you might see in some service processes, um, you might want to even consider some additional moments, some higher moments, right? Like skewness or even kurtosis, or you know, like up to the fourth order, fourth fourth moment. But typically, it'll be you know if you if you want to match data to the fourth moment, you know you could spend a very, very long time. Um, but I typically, I, I would say, suggest that you should at least try to get the mean and the standard deviations matched. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, and I think if you have, if you have done that, uh, in, yeah. that my model is trustworthy. Yeah. Um, also, also you can um, receive um, the, um, the, the by the, your applications or your trials, you can get your confidence intervals. So you can see where you are going um, and, and what is the um, um, leverage you have within your, your modeling. So you know whether it is something that it is very narrow or very wide and you can act accordingly. Yes, I mean, you could do formal, more formal hypothesis testing on the two distributions to see if they are, you know, um, basically you want to make sure that they are not different, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, so you know, you're on different. So it's it's a it's a complicated. Uh, I don't think we want to get into uh, validation, uh, all the nuances. It's a, it's a subject in itself. I would say of of, yeah. of uh, probably another 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 session. Yeah. Or, or, no, but, but I think what is important for people is to be aware of of the complexity, right? And to to yeah to to know that these are the things that they then really need to spend the time to look into and to get right and. Yeah, so, so maybe so let's say that we have completed this step. So we have um, completed step three, the model validation, and we get our model to match up um, at least closely enough so that we continue uh, with our simulation project. So then we actually come to the fourth step, 
And this is now actually building the what if scenarios, right? And so for that, I just uh, wrote down uh, some of the things that people change. So if you take the current reality, the SS model as a starting point, and you build what if, that means you're changing something in the model to reflect potential changes that you could make in the real process, right? So some of the things uh, re uh, related to processes that people could change is that they, for example, eliminate an activity, um, that they um, reduce the processing time for a particular activity, um, that maybe, like we said before, maybe there's kind of an unnecessary kind of rework path route through the process that instead of yeah, going through that extra unnecessary step, 70% of the time I'm reducing that to 30% or 10%. So what's the effect of that, right? Uh, I can... Um, change uh, the waiting time and queuing in a certain part in a process. I can maybe uh, restructure the process to say instead of doing certain steps in sequence, I'm now doing them in parallel in the future. And by doing them in parallel, uh, that can have an effect on, 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 on the process. And other examples are maybe changes to the schedule. I think that's an example. Um, Sudendo, you showed at uh, one of your Prosmining Camp talks. Uh, resource allocation, decision changes, automation of steps, or maybe that a person combines two steps in one step um, that are normally maybe separated as two separate steps. But if one person can do them immediately, that's kind of often kind of an efficiency gain. So these are kind of process improvement steps or scenarios people might consider that you can then reflect in this kind of what if scenario modeling. And you would really model kind of this version of the process and say that's what if scenario A, what's what if scenario B. And so I'm curious, what are the kind of typical changes that you have made to your models when you model what if what is typically the focus that you that you analyze there well it is a reduction of risk to begin with uh, mm -hmm. potential new production lines potential new production um, in terms of new products um, basically things that will alter the um, planning and scheduling approaches for yeah. for the manufacturing line or for any other complex um, uh, system Uh, things that will be very costly and very complicated to um, uh, run in terms of running a design of experiments, for example. Okay, it is yeah. it is less costly to to run a simulation by changing some parameters and anticipating the reaction of the system rather than doing tests within the production line. That costs. Yeah. Absolutely. And here, so you're pointing this out, uh, that brings to mind for me that, of course, here maybe there's also a difference between production processes and service processes, because for production processes, maybe it's even more relevant, right? If you even have to build maybe a new factory or something, that's a completely, well, yeah. Yes, it becomes much more complicated in this case. I'm, I'm taking less complicated um, um, cases. Um, mm -hmm. However, I wouldn't say that it's only the manufacturing sector. Every complex um, mm. system um, faces exactly the same um, um, uh, challenges. So at the end of the day, uh, by, by testing something with a simulation, you are much more, um, um, you, you, you're, you're avoiding the risk of um, running into surprises, even if that will be to, to optimize your a process itself by changing, let's say, um, break times, for example, or changing um, yeah. manning, or changing uh, the availability of um, work centers. Um, in a call center, of course, it will be exactly the same case to, um, to see how you will split the loads between uh, operators. It is something you can yeah. run, 
um, run the what-if scenarios, see the different output you will get um, to your models, and then present and um, argue about the benefits. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, these are these are great examples. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for yeah, sharing that. I mean, uh, it also, like, uh, as I said, you know, I've, I've worked in the printing industry in the past, and uh, the, a lot of times people want to make, let's say, investment decisions. Um, if you have a complex end-to-end -end process, uh, people might say, um, "I want to bring in a faster machine," but how do you know what is the impact of that faster machine on the overall end-to-end -end output? Uh, if you double the throughput of a One, one component of that machine, it doesn't necessarily mean that the final output would get doubled, right? Sometimes you might see mm -hmm. a 5% improvement, depends on you know where you are investing that capacity. So there is a, a, a lot of value in those types of scenarios that your simulation model can bring yeah. uh, by helping you guide you know your investment decisions, for example. Uh, another example I can give is if you're looking at in the digital processes, uh, there's a huge emphasis on automation. Right, so if you have a multi-stage process, um, there's a lot of emphasis on let's automate. But how do you know that which, if you took a particular part of the process and automated it, what is the impact on the overall end-to-end -end output? It may not. It, there's no way. There's no magic number that somebody can just cook up and say, here's a process, sub-process within this process that I've automated, and I have saved like 30% of my time. That doesn't mean that your overall end-to-end -end cycle time will go down by 30%, right? It yeah. might go down by 2%. Um, so those types of decisions when you have to make, um, for example, I have, I have looked at it when you have looked at an end-to-end -end process in a digital world, and we see an opportunity to automate a sub-process. Uh, if we have to build a simulation model, we can actually, before we even automate, we can test what will the impact of that sub-process automation will be on the key metrics of interest. And then you can decide, you know, if it's going to have a significant impact, then you automate. If it's not going to have a significant impact, maybe you can, you know, continue as is for now. Yeah. Uh, and these kind of complex interactions that exist in the process, I mean, it's almost impossible to um, to estimate these kind of um, what-if scenarios without some type of a trustworthy model. Also, I would like to, um, um, to argue with regards to some... Um, equally important uh, aspects, which is work in progress. This is the holy grail in the manufacturing. You want to keep your work in progress um, um, as low as possible. Uh, you don't want to, to, to have um, um, a lot of um, um, constraint and um, confined capital in your, in your processes. You need to process as fast as possible and to, to deliver as fast as possible. Also, you have the dynamics between variable and fixed costs. Um, so all of these aspects cannot be realized by just using um, static um, calculations. It is impossible to do that accurately. So uh, through the simulation and checking of what-if scenarios and going again and again and again, you can get exactly what would be the picture of a working progress, your costs as well as your lead times, which is another big contributor to cost production and profit maximization. Okay, so the slight change of 2%, as Don to mentioned, might lead to a huge improvement to lead time. Therefore, the stakeholders, the, um, uh, the senior managers might uh, decide to go through that route instead of spending um, uh, millions of pounds to, uh, um, to, to add another line um, in parallel, let's say, yeah. increasing all the cost. 
that's that's so, so such a good point because you mentioned like uh, work in progress cost and um, yeah lead time right these yes, are because, yes, different you have dimensions the, yes the fixed cost remains the same mm-hmm. okay therefore the only change you have is in variable cost and um, the variable cost is per hour yeah. okay um, so uh, by changing your um, uh, production practices and by getting a, a more efficient um, production line you are reducing basically your cost per unit of produce as simple as that plus you are improving your lead time which is another great contributor to profitability and all of this can be realized later on by running small experiments so if you could decide a what if scenario you can run a small experiment and you can see the real-time data through the the process mining approach yeah Yes, and these outcomes are then also what you compare the different what-if scenarios on, right? So, for example, if you have A, B, C, D, three, four alternative what-if scenarios, these might be different ideas, like about what could Correct. be changed about the current process. So then you evaluate them with respect to this target metric or this output, which could be, yeah, but it could have effects on multiple dimensions, right? It could have a positive effect on cost, but a negative effect on work on effect on work in progress or the other way around, right? It's all, not all always... Simulation, all simulation applications, all simulation software um, have the capacity of um, um, receiving um, cost and profits um, 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 uh, variables as well as variables contributing to environmental impact. This is another huge aspect. Okay? Yeah. Um, yeah. Environmental um, um, liability to, uh, to business is huge. And yeah. um, all businesses want to, to reduce their environmental um, impact. Um, we, we all want to, to be socially correct to yeah. begin with. Um, therefore, um, you can also simulate and see the impact to these factors which are uh, quite um, well hidden if you will follow any other modeling practice. Yeah, no, that's that's another good example. And that's, of course, also then what the fifth step when you compare the before and after. So that's how you, first of all, that's how you compare the different what-if scenarios. But also once you actually make the change, of course, you want to verify how how big the effect was based on what you had hoped based on the simulation, right? So you can then compare the this the predicted kind of simulation effect and the actual effect again then with process mining by looking at the at the actual process. And so you do this based on this kind of target metric. And so we mentioned quite a few already work on progress, cost, environmental issues. Sometimes it's also maybe more qualitative things. Like for example, if you relate to customer service, maybe you want um, to be on time or um, yeah, have less missed deadlines or you know some some kind of more. You, you have the opportunity of getting this information if you will validate it and you can. You're you're certain. You are confident that you can execute it. You can offer it as an as a potential to your customer if that brings down the cost to your customer as well and increase the satisfaction um, um, levels, this is um, a win-win scenario for everyone. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm, I'm curious, maybe, Sudendu, so based on the this um, example that you had earlier, wh- which we will link in the show notes, where you're looking, where you're looking at the way the ch- scheduling was changed. So there, basically, how the work was assigned to people was changed, and it had quite a big effect. But when you evaluate then the effect or the target output of these kind of what-if scenarios and also then in the before and after comparison, 
are you typically looking at kind of one main metric like throughput time or is there also sometimes like a conjunction of targets that need to be balanced uh, i think we we can't hear you right now can you I'm not sure whether it's just me or whether there's something. No, I can yeah. hear you very well and must be an issue from Sudan's computer. Yeah, but can you hear him or can you can you only hear me? I can only hear you. Okay, yeah, I think we have a technical issue right now. So, so yeah, let, we, me, let me pick it up um, um, up until we'll manage to, to sort that out. Um, comparisons can be made based on the... Uh, standard operating procedures of companies. Okay, um, there are there are benefits that you can um, realize immediately, but there also there's also information which can be used to um, to draw strategy. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that strategy could be either on your production or uh, with your relationship with your customers and so on. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, so maybe so we're running a little bit late, but I wanted to before we close, as I said, I wanted to actually come back to what we discussed in the beginning, that we are here focusing on event discrete event simulation. But you also mentioned in between, like it's not just for simulation modeling, but for all kinds of modeling. Um, I would be curious. Can you tell us a little bit? Um, Uh, just really briefly about the other types of simulation, which are not event uh, discrete event simulation, and how do you think pros mining can contribute to those as well? Well, um, as as we discussed before, um, uh, by looking the data and the dynamics of a system, we can identify many aspects that are of interest. Okay, discrete event simulation is based on discrete events. Mm -hmm. um, um, the other types of um, um, simulation modeling uh, methods we, we follow is um, system dynamics, which is based on flows and uh, stocks um, of, um, um, of, of variables. And we are modeling uh, based on differential equations and the rate of change of something. So you, you might not be necessarily interested on identifying exactly how many entities of something you want to produce, but you want to identify the dynamics into your system and see how your strategy will change within the next um, um, foreseeable future, let's say, to make a good estimate, to see how a product um, um, will move within the, the market. In these cases, you can use system dynamics. Again, by getting the data and going through process mining, you can see these dynamics. You demonstrated mm -hmm. um, earlier the different um, um, activities and the way they were interacting one to the other. And this can give valuable information with regards to the flows and also with regards to the um, impacts um, these, these dynamics might have. It, it could show um, um, relationships between um, different activities. And also, you could also understand by running the simulation, the excuse me, the um, 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 the real time um, playback of uh, of the data. You can also see the dynamics happening in, in front of your time. You can see bottlenecks. You can see slow uh, re um, reaction of a system, and this can be represented into a system dynamic model. Yeah. Now, with okay. regards to agent-based modeling, which is the third method um, mm -hmm. um, for, for simulation modeling, at least to that extent, um, 
that um, uh, models also um, uh, knowledge and experience of agents. And I believe, I have not done this myself, but I believe that um, in a case of a production line, you could also see different patterns of behavior between different shifts of operators or different paradigms or different um, standard operating procedures um, uh, from different groups of people. Um, it, it is obvious that you can realize things much, much earlier at an earlier stage and it is critical that at this stage you can decide which method to follow. Mm. This yeah. is this is another um, 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 big um, uh, thing into the simulation modeling world um, discussed a lot of how early you need to react in order to be more effective. The yeah. earlier you identify the good method, the the better it will be for the modeling process itself. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Well, thank you very much for that for that perspective here towards the end. Let's just see, Sudendo, can you can you hear us again? Are you are you back? I, I can hear you. I, 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 can you hear me? Oh yeah, yeah. We can yes. hear you again. Yes. Okay. Yes. Do, good. Good. Do you want to add something before we close? Um, no, I think Lambda is pretty much. So, if you look at any logic, which is one of the simulation tools that uh, we use, it has the ability to. Um, I mean, you can use all three. Types of uh, simulation models within that environment, which is mm -hmm. which is quite quite good. Um, most of my experience, uh, to be honest, is with discrete event simulation. Um, I mean, I I know that if you are, for example, if you're trying to study emergent behavior and things of that nature, sometimes agent-based modeling is a is a better framework for those things. Like, for example, if you're trying to model the pandemic or Uh, you know those types of of things where where you want to uh, look at more emergent behavior, and that's the focus. Uh, but by and large, for most of the work that I have done, which has been in the printing industry, which is more like manufacturing um, uh, services, um, digital processes, insurance, finance, discrete event simulation has been quite effective. Um, what what has been the big for me? What has been the big uh, evolution in the last two decades is this. Uh, emergence of uh, um, process mining, which we which we uh, talked here, and the other things where I've seen uh, a lot of um, improvements that have been made or um, progress that has been made is in the area of simulation optimization. Right. So I know we haven't necessarily talked about it. So we talked about how do we collect the data, we we build the simulation model, we validate it, and then do what ifs. Uh, but you can also uh, conceive doing. Um, uh, Formal optimization on these simulation models, mm. uh, and and the, the the challenge there is, of course, because the simulation model is a st stochastic model. It is uh, the output of the model is not the same every time you run it. We talked about that. Mm. Uh, it makes it very challenging to do what I would call formal optimization, and that's this big field of simulation optimization. Yeah. Um, and so, so that would be, you know, but once you have formulated a problem properly, uh, now you have the ability, even any logic provides you some capability in, in, along those lines using OptQuest uh, module that they have, where you yeah. can actually build the model and then do automated uh, optimization. And that's, that's interesting. So, so that's kind of an operations research um, yes. kind of approaches yes. that are integrated. Interesting. Yeah. So those are the two areas where I have seen some some significant uh, enhancement in addition to the question that was raised earlier about how AI and predictive analytics can be combined mm. simulation. So 
maybe those three, I would say, are the big areas where um, I would have seen some, you know, sort of significant uh, addition to what we had, let's say, you know, almost two decades ago. Yeah. Um, Okay, great. Well, thanks. Thank you both so much. I think we it's a, it's a big topic, but we covered a lot of ground, I think, as much as we can in one and a half hours. And um, yeah, so I think that's that's uh, the idea is to give you a starting point for your own maybe simulation projects. Um, when we publish the recording, we will link to all these additional pointers that we mentioned throughout the throughout the show. And um Yeah, so I hope it was useful. Um, thank you both, Lampos. Thank you, Sudendo, for joining, for coming on the show. It was, was really great and really nice to have you here and very helpful. Thank you very much indeed for thank the you opportunity. Thank you. thank you both. And um, yeah, thank you again all for watching. Uh, we will be back with the new Prosmaning Cafe uh, in about three weeks, I think, even. And we will talk about the difference between um, project-based and process-driven companies and how that reflects on your, on your process mining initiatives. So tune back in and we'll see you again um, in the next cafe. Thank you all. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Take care.